concept with this comic book podcast. Keep safe. We're talking about two old, two new comic books on a podcast. Two old and two new comic books. Okay, 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 okay. So you know it's built and set on the podcast. And you're going to tune in. You know, we all be talking about a Batman. Always. We be talking about two old and two new comic books. Stay tuned to every episode. Welcome to Two Old, Two New Comic Book Podcast, Episode 10. My name is Bill Beer, and joining me as always... Lex Luthor to my Superman, Seth Howard. Hello. <laughs> you notice you're always the villain. I know, right? Oh, it's okay, though. It's because I've got red hair. Well, I used to have red hair hey, when I had hair. And the old so. Lex Luthor, like from the 90s, he had he was bald. Yep. Red beard. Yeah. That's me. That's yeah, me. There, there we go. go. <laughs> there you go. I just need his money. I need his money and his brain power. Or I'm pretty close on the brain power. No. <laughs> If you're listening to Too Old, Too New for the first time, we are a comic book podcast. We talk about two older books, five years and older, and two newer books, five years and newer. Did you mention we are a spoiler podcast, too? Remember? We are a spoiler podcast. We're going to spoil the heck out of these books. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. My first book, Showcase 94, from July 1994. It's actually issues number 8 and number 9. If you're not familiar with what Showcase was, it was a limited series. I believe it was 12 issues, and they had multiple stories in every issue. And my story is going to be The Seeker of Origin of Scarface. Nobody knows this. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before. But Scarface is actually one of my favorite Batman villains. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Scarface, so, yeah. He's very corny, and, you know, they killed him off at one point, and they brought him back. Yeah. This particular book is written by Alan Grant and John Wagner. The art and color is by Teddy Christensen. The letter is Ken Bruzenak. Garface's first appearance was actually Detective Comics number 583 from February 1988. So he's not as old of a character as some of the other ones that we've gone over in the past. But the original creators, John Wagner, Alan Grant, actually the ones writing this book. So that's that's pretty neat. That's pretty nice yeah. to see when the original creators come and, and are telling a story. So... Also, one of the original creators is Norm Braithogel, so anybody that's familiar with Batman will be very familiar, at least 80s, 90s, early 90s, uh, Norm Braithogel. This issue starts out, we see Blackgate Prison, and there's a story about the gallows, which is the piece of wood that's used to hang the rope to hang prisoners, and apparently this gallows has killed 313 men until it was destroyed by lightning. Freak accident type of thing. Our story starts out, we have this prisoner, Donigan. You don't really get too much background into him, why he's in prison, but 
He he's thrown a book by the the librarian guy that hands out books to the prisoners. The warden apparently wants everybody to read educational books. So, so old Don again gets this book. It's labeled "Teach Yourself Ventriloquism." <laughs> Yep. And he's not too happy about that. He reads his book, and he actually gets pretty good. He uh, actually drew a face on his hand and is making the dummy out of his hand, and he gets pretty good. And somebody mentions, hey, you should, uh, you're should you pretty good at that. You should do the annual talent show that they have here at Blackgate. But you need a decent dummy in order to do that. At some point, Donegan goes, and he finds a burnt and warped piece of wood that has actually... The remains of the old gallows, which we saw at the beginning of the issue, destroyed. The one prisoner mentions that there's blood on it, so something supernatural with it. <laughs> so he carves this dummy out of the wood and paints it, and he actually names it Woody, which is kind of corny. Right, yeah. And when he's actually talking to Woody, they go back and forth. Woody doesn't really care for his name Woody. No. <laughs> the next interesting part is they get to this annual talent show at Blackgate, and Woody and Donegan perform, and, and they're a hit. But at, at a certain point, Woody starts to give away his escape plans, that he's dug this tunnel, and he has to put his hand over the dummy's mouth so he can't talk anymore. He gets back to the cell. He just can't understand why he would let that slip, as it, it seems to the reader that the dummy has... A mind of its own, almost. And it's really full Donegan, but you'll see later in the issue. And I really like this aspect of it. You, you know, you've seen in these issues with uh, the ventriloquists and Scarface, you don't know who's controlling who. Right. It right. seems almost that Scarface is controlling him, and you see a lot of that right here. Donegan gets a new roommate by the name of Arnold Wesker, anybody that knows that name knows it's the ventriloquist. He actually is in prison because he killed a man in a bar fight who, he said he killed him by accident, and he said he just walked into his knife. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like doing it. He just walked into my knife. Yeah. He's a very meek and feeble kind of guy. And the way mm -hmm. the art is drawn in there, he always has these glasses, his white shadow glasses with like shadows the, the the art in this book there aren't a lot of bright colors there's a lot of grays and greens and you know the art remind me a lot of uh tim cell the long halloween so yeah the style of it and just the the color palette and yeah so that's yeah. what i really i really like that about it i was like dude it looks just like long halloween so yeah yeah it looks very familiar i'm not familiar with the artist at all yeah either am i so and I know back in the, you know, before internet, I didn't always pay attention to artists when I was younger and writers as much, unless I really, really liked it. If it was just like so-so, I didn't really pay attention right, to, yeah. to really who it was. But if it was somebody I really loved, of course I'd pay attention to it to it then. Mm -hmm. So so Wes wants to touch Woody, <laughs> and he starts to grab him, and Don again just slaps him. And he, he goes a little crazy, and he's like, he's mine, nobody else touches Woody, my Woody. So he's gotten a little crazy. Wesker, again, at some point, picks up Woody and gets caught by Donegan. And this time, he really beats him to a pulp for touching Woody. 
Then I guess that was the last draw, because Wesker decides that he's going to hang himself. Yep. He's going to hang himself. He has nothing to live for. He lives with a lunatic, and his best friend is a dummy. <laughs> his best friend is a dummy who he can't touch. Midway through trying to hang himself, the dummy actually talks him out of hanging himself and said that they are going to bust out this joint together. And this all this happens while Donegan is sleeping. They, they know about the tunnel. He At first he thinks that the dummy is actually Donegan. And it's like, what is Donegan up to? But at this point you really get the feeling that the, the dummy, who's not Scarface yet, um, really has a mind of his own. And they find this tunnel, and they decide that they're going to try to sneak out of this tunnel and escape while Donagan is sleeping and he wakes up like mid escape before they get in this tunnel Donagan's getting ready to attack him with what what is that thing it's like a corkscrew of some sort yeah pull made shank and he actually attacks Wesker with this shankler actually puts the dummy up and it stabs him right right under the eye or above the eye and then it, he he punches him but Wesker had enough of it and he takes a brick and just beats the crap out of Donigan mm-hmm. <laughs> and goes to the dummy and the dummy has a big scar on his face now they decide that they're just going to hang Donigan cuz he's already dead of course uh, mostly the dummy's idea to hang Donigan right they hang him and he's still alive and he's <laughs> moaning while he's starting to hang and and you know Wesker is this little he doesn't want to commit a murder or anything and he's like oh should we go back and help him and he says no we're not helping him snap out of it. He's just going to kill you. So they leave Donegan hanging. Looks like a suicide. They make off. Gate the island. There's a couple guards. They de- dispatch. Takes a gun and blows both of them away. He seems to be... Oh my gosh. Did I do that? It's like Urkel. Did <laughs> I do did that? Did I do that? Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's very not into violence at all. And Who's the real dummy here? You know? Mm-hmm. That's, right. That's the, that's the big question is, who's the real dummy? Yep, that's funny. They take off, find theatrical costume store at some point, and they, that's where they get their get-up. You always see him in, you see Scarface and his, like, mobster, or the dummy in his mobster-looking get-up. Calls him Woody again, and Scarface is like, call me Scarface from now on. <laughs> So basically ends. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had never read, it was because we've been talking about, you know, the Batman villains and their origins and stuff, and we've kind of been going through yep. those. And I, I'd never read this uh, before. So when you told me that you were doing this one, it was funny. I forgot that it was this one that you said the origin of Scarface. And so I went to this local shop and I picked up the Scarface line. And you're like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, crap, that is. And I picked it up because, sweet, it's a Scarface origin story. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's in two issues. Yeah, did two you issues. Get both issues. No, I, I got. I only got the one. They only had the one, so I did the other one on Comicsology. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, it goes into. It shows basically the character of Arnold Wesker. Mm-hmm. I say Wesker. You know they Wesker. Did, had a recent. Yeah, I had no. You know why I say that because in Batman, not too long ago, Tom King's Batman, mm-hmm. they had him show up, and he wasn't named Wesker. Oh. He, his name was changed to Wesk Lur. Weird. With an L. I wonder if that was a misprint. 
I do not know. But I like this version better because in the version, in the story from Batman most recently, he didn't have Scarface. And it was it was made out that the ventriloquist could control, had this super power almost to control things. And I don't really remember off the top of my head exactly what he did, but it was something to do with Bane and something that he was controlling. Right. But I like this version better because... Scarface is kind of in control and sort of has a mind of his own. Well, and that's how he's always kind of been. And you know, a while back they killed Wesker. And so they had the one gal was the new ventriloquist, which just didn't yeah. work out. That was just like, no, give me yeah, Wesker she back. She was really weird. Yeah, yeah. I like Wesker Yeah, being... this was sort of comical and sort of corny mm-hmm. and, you know, fun. That's a word. There you go. That, that. The, what it should be is, is fun. I'm looking this up real quick, this Wesker. I wonder if it was just a misprint, you know? Because everything I'm finding says Wesker. So, yep. hmm. And I'm sorry. You're writing Batman. You're having these characters. And, and that's what all you're doing is you're writing. You've researched. Mm-hmm. How do you make a misprint? And how does the misprint go by the editor? Right, yeah. That'd be How interesting. Is it possible? Yeah, I'll have to look and see if there's on any forums or anything about. Um, yeah, I, I really don't about know. It. So if you have a copy of that, it might be worth something. Huh? No, I doubt it. But <laughs> just because millions of comics are printed. <laughs> I mean, it's possible it could have been corrected for the trade or something like yeah. that. They do that occasionally. But yeah. damn good coffee and hot. So my. Uh, issue for my old one uh i've talked about uh what i used to read in the past so i thought i'll finally do it and it was a a morbius uh issue this is issue number one uh rise of the midnight suns morbius and uh, it says part three of six because the midnight suns was a uh, short series where basically ghost Rider and johnny blaze were going around trying to find these people stop evil from happening and morbius had been introduced in an ep- in an episode an issue of spider-man and i think an issue of Captain America, maybe it, it references it, uh, but this was kind of like a first big issue of who he is, how he came to be, and uh, so forth. So again, an origins story, uh, but of Morbius. This is written by uh, Lynn Kaminsky. Uh, the penciler was Ron Wagner. Uh, the inker is Mike Witherby. Uh, colorist uh, Gregory Wright, and then your letterer is Janice Ching. So basically, the rise of the sons of Midnight, uh, the rise of the Midnight Suns. So basically, Rise of the Midnight Suns was in Ghost Rider number twenty-eight, Spirits of Vengeance number one, Morbius number one, obviously, which is the part three. Uh, Darkhold number one was part four, Night Stalkers number one, part five, and then Ghost Rider thirty-one, uh, part six. So, and what year was this from? Ninety-two. Ninety-two. You know, the funny thing is, is I was actually I used to have this physical copy of this comic <laughs> because that's back when. I started reading Ghost Rider, oh, sixth grade, I think, fifth, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And so 92, I would have been a freshman. So I'd been reading Ghost Rider, and I remember when they introduced Morbius, I was like, this guy's awesome. So I started reading his comic, this run, also when it came out. At my little IGA there, Deerfield, Deerfield Kansas, the uh, Ron's IGA is where I buy my comics. So <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So, yeah. So on this, yeah, I think it was 92. Uh, because when I'm looking at a comiXology, it just says copyright 2016 Marvel because that's when they would have put this one into digital format So oh, on the page. Yeah. So basically the opening of it, total early 90s art, you can tell. Uh, the great thing is that it's also 90s vampire art uh, when you think about it. Um, Interview with the Vampire came out, what, 95, I think, 94, 95. So it wasn't that style of vampire. This is the vampire from like – 
Do you remember the old role-playing game Vampire the Masquerade? Does that ring a bell? Uh, a little bit. A little I'm bit? Okay, too, so... Too familiar with it. So think that. Think of, like, The Lost Boys meets, like, New York City. So what a vampire style would be like. And that's what Morbius was, like, his outfit and his get-up and everything. But the opening you see to it, you see this, the big splash page of just Morbius's eyes, you know, and he's... And he's talking about how, you know, the nerves on his teeth itch. The insides of his eyelids feel like sandpaper. You know, he's describing the hunger of wanting blood, basically. And he's a living vampire. He's a living vampire. because the way- So what does that mean exactly? Sure. He, wasn't, he was not turned into a vampire by a vampire. By other means. By other means, yeah. And so the way the way he came across it, um, well, we'll get to it here. So at the beginning, so basically he's up on top of a building. And he's talking about he could smell this woman's perfume. You know, he's up top. And then he basically pounces. He's trying to withhold from doing it, but he just pounces and murders a girl. You know, (laughs) murders her, drinks her blood. Uh, But then he always feels so terrible after doing it. It's one of those things where he can't control himself. Vampire with a conscience. Yeah, exactly. And the next, it goes into this underground punk scene. It's kind of funny. They're talking about this was a – there's this dance party and that's that, that 90s look of the punk scene that you always see in whether it's comics or movies, you know, the big spiky hair and, you know, all the crazy oh, looks. right. And uh, – Mohawks. Right, yeah, huge mohawks. I love the thing is the guy's like, it used to be a cathedral back uh, before it was a gothic club, you know. My favorite is – this is this reminds me of old people talking about music <laughs> just because such wonderfully malevolent ambience and that dreadful cacophony like the music of the tormented. Tell me, dear one, what is it called? And he goes, speed metal. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, I love it. The uh, speed metal, you know. So I'm like, yep, yeah, Anthrax, early Metallica, yeah. So, <laughs> and all these punk kids are dressed like that. And they blend right in in that atmosphere. Totally, yeah, yeah. Lilith is that goth look with the fishnet, black hair, and yeah. So, and then what you see is going to see Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze. Well, John Blaze, I would say Johnny Blaze, but John Blaze just uh, riding around on their both flaming motorcycles, you know. And that's kind of interesting because I guess uh, Ghost Rider at this this time is actually Danny Ketch. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. When I started reading it, it was John Blaze, but then through the period, it became he was able to get rid of the Spirit of Vengeance, and then it took over Ketch basically. So yeah. How is Johnny Blaze, you know, riding a flaming motorcycle? Right. Yeah. Does he have part of the? That I don't know. I'd have to go back and research it again because, like I said, it's been yeah. years since I regularly read Ghost Rider, so. Because I was like, that's Johnny Blaze, and then I said, yeah. Ghost Rider, I said, well, that has to be Catch, because... Yep. Yeah, because for the time period, it's one of those things where you look at it and you go... But he does call himself John Blaze. Yep. Well, where hmm. Ghost Rider says, John Blaze and I have returned to New York in search of the creature called Blackout, you know. Okay. So, yeah. is where he's talking about, he is with John Blaze. And remember, they go to the lady's house, and um, my favorite is that, you know, Ghost Rider puts the helmet on, so apparently... <laughs> he looks you know, like a biker. Right? You know, because Catch can't turn it off and on like Blaze could. Because remember, Blaze could turn it off and on when he was out in public, yeah. whatever. Um, and this, obviously, Catch can't. You know, he's uh, got his helmet on, which is funny. Anyway, they're talking to this lady. They're looking for a certain person. You know, he talks to this lady named Martine Bancroft. And, hey, we're looking for somebody. We've got some pictures here. We need you to tell us more about them. Um, they're talking about innocent blood being spilt is what they're trying to hunt down. And uh, she mentions Michael Morbius, a living vampire. And so then uh, Ghost Rider, 
takes the pictures from her and says, I must see that photograph. It just steals it from her, you know? Morbius made his appearance in Ghost Rider. That's what it was. He was in Ghost Rider and then also in um, Spider-Man. It says on here, Fear number 31. Right, yeah, Fear number 31 and then Ghost Rider number 28. Part of that which was revealed to me, so this is where Ghost Rider saw a vision, I believe, then tells the lady, tell me more about Morbius, you know, tell me more of this Morbius. And she's just like, you don't just barge in here and tell me who do you think you are. Then, of course, Ghost Rider takes his helmet off, which is awesome. <laughs> and, it's, you know, he's got his flaming skull there and just kind of freaks her out. And she explains. She needs a drink. Right, yeah. She's like, I need to get a drink. From the littlest liquor bottle you've ever seen. I know. It's like she stole it from the airplane, right? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just pockets all of those. Well, she goes on to tell the story of Michael Morbius, who was – he was working on different experiments, basically – He'd already won uh, the Nobel Prize, you know, is what it said. So uh, her and Michael were um, engaged to be married, but he contracted some type of fatal blood disease is what he did. So which is funny. He contracted it versus it didn't, you know, it wasn't like appeared in him. He just contract uh, contracted it from somewhere. But anyway, so in his lab, he was making all these different serums and uh, doing like electroshock therapy and all this stuff. Uh, but what he did was uh, he extracted um stuff from vampire bats and electroshock therapy and injected it into himself basically. And yeah, that's how he turned into uh, Morbius, the living vampire. Yeah. And she just talks about how, you know, he gets, he relapsed. So he appeared in a Dr. Strange issue, a Spider-Man issue. So she was just saying she just at first left him, but now she came to find him to try to help him out basically. So she's in town. She found a doctor who's a biochemist who's supposed to help him with a cure. And then uh, John Blaze asked her, what if that doesn't work out? And she goes, that's why I carry this. And has this huge revolver. <laughs> she's, she thinks she's going <laughs> to kill him. So Just blow him away. Yeah. So then uh, basically Morbius and John Blaze are like, great, we must find him. And uh, she goes, I know where I've located his daytime lair. And uh, first she needs to make a phone call. So she, she calls us this you know doctor who's supposed to be helping her out you know is the idea of it to help cure uh, morbius and uh, he gets off the phone with her and then basically he's been scheming because he wants to kill morbius you can go through it you know and there's some serum but he adds something else into it this so he's got this serum together that they're supposed to catch morbius somebody else from lilith's group is supposed to go and appear to basically help out after they catch morbius basically so then again, you see Morbius jumping through town. He's got to go get in his lair, his daytime lair, because, you know, his skin gets burned and everything. So uh, let me see here. So here we go. So they show up, obviously, without describing every panel. But my favorite is, is John Blaze going, yoo-hoo, Avon calling. And Ghost Rider <laughs> says, who is this Avon? <laughs> he just says, never mind. So, yeah, it was pretty awesome uh, that uh, <laughs> who is this Avon. Uh, so anyway – they come in, Morbius comes jumping out, screaming. They're going to get in a fight, whatever. He ends up getting shot. You know, he got winged because he jumps out the window and uh, John Blaze shoots him. But then Ghost Rider grabs his chain and catches him, pulls him back into the window. They're back at Langford's lab. And this guy who's part of Lilith's crew, he just kind of melts and goes right underneath the door because it's locked. He Wait, slices oh. into his wrist, drops in some drops of this blood, which is uh, demon blood. So this guy's a, a demon with Lilith and puts it into the vial that is supposed to be the antidote for Morbius. Uh, so they have Morbius on the table, and they're administering this stuff to him. The doctor tells him, okay, clear the room. So John Blaze and Morbius' ex-fiance and Ghost Rider leave the room. So this doctor injects his stuff into him, and Morbius just starts freaking out. You know, uh, He's mutating, cellular form, uh, transformation, all this. And he's just getting worse and worse and worse. You know, It's like, oh, there's been a complication in his 
ex-fiance, Morgan's ex-fiance is just crying there out in the city above on top of the, you know, he's just, he's yeah. burning basically because of the sun. This is a good part where he, the guy's, uh, looking through the window and he's like, Oh, it's a beautiful morning here. You know, this view and Morbius just dives right in through his window. And basically it's a doctor that he knows he's been unconscious for nine hours. And so Morbius is back to his normal. He's just talking about how all this different stuff and something else was in this formula that was given to him. They need to figure out what it is. And all of a sudden Morbius just kind of starts changing again. He starts talking about, you know, what have I become? They're talking about, controlling the dosage of this material so if they can resynthesize it so he can control his condition, which is kind of cool, which Morbius ends up doing. Then he talks about how he's got to find a perfect outfit, basically. And uh, he goes into, it's called Thrash and Godville. <laughs> it's a store. <laughs> so he shaved his face, you know. That's where he's got the leather outfit that you see Morbius wearing uh, now. Yeah. So Leather outfit with some wings on it and uh, jumping out. Hey, what's better than that? A leather outfit with clothes. Yeah, I know. So, but at the end, you know, it <laughs> says um several hundred dollars later, it feels right somehow. After all, don't most hunters have special outfits? Why not him? Uh he feels the need returning. He surrenders his weightless body to the custody of the night winds. His humanity he leaves behind. Let his prayer beware. His prey beware. Um well then you're thinking, okay, that's the end of the issue. But nope, what it is is that his ex-fiance Overheard the doctor talking on the phone like, nope, the dosage should have killed him. It should have done this. The doctor's getting ready to kill her. Morbius shows back up and just feeds, basically. So there's two other goons there with the doctor. And uh, so he kills the doctor. What happens is Morbius, you know, kills the doctor, the two people with him, and the lab just blows up, basically. Just huge explosion just blows up. John Blaze and Ghost Rider show back up. Let me see here. Oh, the vial that had, like, the antidote, basically. So it flies out, and Morbius is like, no, no, don't let it. And Ghost Rider catches it. I love how Ghost Rider speaks. Events have transpired in our absence. <laughs> and then John Blaze, really? Gosh, I wouldn't have noticed. And then they say, oh, Morbius, I sort of figured that, given the bloodless corpse here, give me the beaker. And then uh, Ghost Rider says, no, there are forces at work uh, we do not yet comprehend what has occurred here. He tells him how the Langford serum was meant to kill him and all these mutagenic reactions and stuff. And you can see what Morbius sees, you know, through his eyes. Cause that's what the penance stare is that ghost Rider gives him. And can see that yeah. Morbius is a good person actually versus, you know, he's not this killing machine or evil thing. Cause you can actually see that Michael Morbius is still in there. The one thing Ghost Rider tells him, though, that's, that's, yeah, this is very important. Ghost Rider tells him, hey, I'm at a quandary. Uh, you're not without conscience, and yet I cannot allow you to continue to drink innocent blood. And then Morbius says, accept this vow. If I must drink blood, let it be the blood of the corrupt, of those who deserve it, the blood of the guilty. Of the guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so and Ghost Rider's like, very well. Basically, here you go. We can do that. And then he hands the vial back, you know, the, the vial back over, which is so they can figure out, you know, Morbius can work with it and figure out, you know, how to change himself back basically. So kind of shoots back the Lilith and talks about how, Oh, we were interrupted by, you know, Morbius and John blaze and all this. And then, yeah, it flashes to newspaper where Peter Parker worked. Yeah. Bloodless body found in topless bar. And there's Peter Parker standing there. It says it can only be one man, the most nightmarish of all my enemies, Morbius. And I'm going to have to do something about it as Spider-Man. So yeah, but Peter Parker looks really old in this last panel. So <laughs> he does. he, Looks angry. <laughs> but yeah, so overall, an introduction to Morbius, who he was, you know, how he got there. So again, a a, um, a backstory to how he got where he was. Yeah, pretty cool story about him. 
you know. But yeah, that's why he's the living vampire, is that he wasn't infected by a vampire. It was from vampire bats and electroshock therapy. So, <laughs> so there but he still has, he still, you know, is affected by sunlight and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> a little different than Blade. Right, right. Yeah. More of a villain type of thing because he kind of murders people even though he has like a guilty conscience right where he but he only you know only takes the blood of the guilty now though so you know he's, he's yeah. more like the punisher <laughs> so okay there you go yeah so let's take a break here and we'll be back if you like talking batman we have a podcast here all about that Gotham man, you smile from ear to ear. Bad books. Bobby Gehenna's. Bad books for beginners. Welcome to Bad Books for Beginners. You guessed it, it's a podcast about Batman. Join Chris and Jerry. As they talk about today's Bat Book, welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. Check out Parlapod, the podcast for die-hard fans. We've got interviews. Hi, this is Kelly Jones. Hi, everybody. This is John Semper. This is Ming Chen. Hey, this is Tim Seeley. Hey, folks. This is Brian O'Halloran. Hey, what up? This is Jason Mewes, and you're listening to Parlapod.com comic book podcast. Snooks to the news. Reviews. These covers are, are blowing me away. Oh, so the concept is just too darn good. I wish they had done a better job with it. And all the comic book news you need to know about. Mark Strong is in talks to play the villain, Dr. Savannah. All in, man. He was a great Sinestro, too. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and it's always free to download. Follow us on social media, at Parlapod. Fresh episodes every Wednesday morning, just in time for your trip to the local comic book store. Parlapod, we are your source for everything comic book related. Give us a listen today. So my new book is a book been enjoying for the last few months. Marvel had started this Marvel Legacy, and they went back to Legacy numbering with a bunch of their titles. And uh, the book that I picked is Captain America 697. It's titled Home of the Brave. You have uh, Mark Wade and Chris Samney, or your storytellers, your artist is matthew wilson and your letterer is joe carmencina just to get in this a little bit i've been enjoying this book it's the last four issues i'm thinking it's sort of been a one and done and in coming into this this storyline you're coming off of the secret empire storyline where captain america was a hydra agent it's kind of complicated the way it happened, but the cosmic cube was kind of broken into pieces, and one of the pieces was this little girl who decided 
not decided, the Red Skull kind of talked her into changing Captain America's history and made him a Hydra agent from the beginning, kind of rewriting his whole history and then his his takeover of of Hydra and the United States and that sort of thing. So he's coming off it, off of that storyline where people don't trust Captain America anymore and he's been going across the country kind of getting back to America themselves. But I'm going to make a little rant about Marvel because they just started this legacy where they re went back to original numbering and they took the time and those first issues to show you, oh, this is the how we came up with this number. This is uh, the issues that that are led up to that, and it was just announced that Marvel's going to reboot all over again, and they're going <laughs> back to all number one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it hasn't even been a year. Wow! And they're scrapping the legacy numbering and going back to number one with all new creative teams or whatnot. But I have been joining Mark Wade, but uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. Now. If it's a good story, it's a good story, but, you know, why even tease those of us that thought that's pretty cool? I mean, if DC went back to original numbering, I think it would be awesome. Uh, they did on Detective Comics, right? Yeah, they did a Detective in Action. Yeah. But they're they're like Captain America's at 697, it'll get like, and then it'll go back to one. Yeah. yeah. What's the point? Uh, there isn't. The point, did they think they were going to sell so many copies of all these books that it was gonna blow everybody away and and uh i don't know yeah it's interesting <laughs> i'm disappointed by it uh, it's just a number but i thought it was cool that they went back to original numbering i mean you don't how many books you see they get up to like 700 anymore right yeah not many 800 yeah action's gonna be at a thousand here mm-hmm and I thought that was pretty cool. This uh, Captain America 697, on the cover here you have Captain America. He's almost mounted like a deer. You just see his head on a plaque. And you see Craven the Hunter. Who Are you familiar with Craven the Hunter? Yeah, I know, I know a little bit about him, yeah. Mm-hmm. A Spider-Man villain. In this issue you see Captain America, but it's Steve Rogers and he's playing pool or whatever. And he actually gets gets tricked by this girl and and uh, poisoned. It looks knocked out. So when he wakes up, he's at Craven the Hunter, and he's you look at his walls, and he has heads of all these kind of creatures. Yeah. He's have human heads. How disturbing would that be? You wake up at this dude's house, and you got human heads on his wall. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't you Wouldn't you crap your pants basically? <laughs> and he looks ridiculous. The guy that's Craven the Hunter looks like part Fred Flintstone and the other part I don't know what. Maybe he should get a different outfit once in a while. Right, yeah. He's got the old big lion's mane for the vest or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but Craven the Hunter, uh, Cap says uh, he remembers Spider Man telling him about Craven. I don't know how many stories Craven the Hunter went in, was in, or, you know how popular he is or is he a villain that only shows up like every 10 years or something like that i'm not 100 percent sure he has a challenge for captain america he has a shield and 
if he gets to basically he's given him an ultimate challenge and if he goes through the jungle and to the other side he'll give him his shield and Cap's like he doesn't want any part of that he's not into playing games so of course there's a bait there's an innocent guy down there that's bleeding mm -hmm. who doesn't want to die that's getting attacked by a cheetah and he saves him, and they they kind of go through this this course with all kinds of booby traps, with Craven the Hunter shooting his shotgun at them as they're going along. There's uh, snakes that Cap just takes his belt off and kind of whips the snakes. <laughs> yep, hits him with the buckle, <laughs> bam. <laughs> yeah, he hit a buckle, swats him a little bit, and of course this guy is like a moron. He's tugging on branches and stuff. That's booby trap rocks fall. He keeps saving the sky, and the guy seems kind of a wimp. And they go through. Oh, then the the one of the best lines in this is the guy that he's helping. He said, "Should we try swinging through the trees on vines?" Mm -hmm. And he goes, "Tarzan is fiction." Yep. <laughs> well, anyway, you come to find out that this friend that Cap's been helping. He's with Craven the Hunter, and he, he uh, sticks a gun to the back of his head. And Cap, of course, like anybody would do, smells gun oil. Yes. <laughs> and he's able to tell that he has a gun, and he disarms him. And Craven basically says, you almost won this battle. Cap's actually at the edge of a cliff, and he gets the upper hand on Craven, and he's holding him over the cliff. And they go over the cliff. It looks like Craven dies, of course. Right, yeah. I'm sure he's dead. There was other benefactors at work here that hired Craven to capture Captain America. And yeah, it, it, it continues into another storyline. But a lot of these have been sort of been one and done type of things. Mm -hmm. And you see these these terrorists on this boat. You've seen them in a couple previous issues. But I really enjoyed um and I'm kind of really disappointed that this creative team is only going to be on here a few more months, and and then they're changing it up. Not that the next creative team, because I I can't say I've read a lot of Captain America lately. Mm -hmm. Most of my experience had come in late '80s, early '90s with Mark Grunewald, and he did back back then. There were a lot of one and done, more one and done stories than there are now. Now is the big, you know... Right, and we've discussed that, yeah. 10 to 15 issue arcs, yep. you know, and and the the one issue arcs have sort of gone away, and I don't know if it's because the people want... the readers want the overarching stories, or they think that's something that everybody wants, but it's nice to see... You know, these one-and-done issues once in a while. Batman used to do that all the time. Yeah, you know, but see, now they do them as a one-shot, so it's not even your regular story run because they've got this story arc they don't want to interrupt. So they're like, here's a separate issue with really no numbering at all that matters. So, yeah, so which is unfortunate. And this Chris Samney art, I don't know if I really loved it at the beginning. It's grown on me a little bit. It's sort of like an old-school type of art. It, it, it almost feels like... You know, an art from way back when of older comics, almost. Yeah. Do you have the same feeling about that? Yeah, or? it's got a different look. It almost reminds me of, like, a cartoon art, in a sense, you know? 
Yeah. So it's yeah. It, in between. It was. It's definitely an interesting art style, I guess. Is because Captain's head looks really round, you know, with his mask in it. So and they're very clean shaven and like square jawed and yeah. That's uh, a book that I've been. As I said, I I hear that news this past week, and I'm like, jeez. Yeah, that's kind of a pain. And I mean, they're doing that. It seems like Avengers is going back to number one. You know, all the big wow. Marvel stuff. Well, they'll probably do it so they could have different variant covers with different number ones. You know, and yeah, so, I'm sure. Yeah. That for some reason, and I do not get it. For some reason, they think number ones sell great. Mm-hmm. That's why they keep doing these number ones, and and every couple of years you get new number one. How do you even keep track right, of all that right. stuff? You know, I I guess I'm a little bit more old school, and I liked I liked I felt this original numbering may come back for for like the long haul. Yeah. Why even go through all that trouble if you're not going to do that? Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't at all. So. Just a second while I retrieve my beanie, my hair, my tweezers, and my notes. All right. Well, my book is funny. Is It falls under our guidelines of an old book, actually, because I didn't realize how old it was. <laughs> so uh, a few years back, a buddy of mine was like, you need to read this. It's called Lock and Key. And I thought, sweet, awesome comic, you know, and I really enjoyed it. And I would borrowed his graphic novel from him and really enjoyed it. And so I thought I should go back and read that first issue again for my new comic. And so I go through and I read it and I send it to Bill. Hey, this is my new one. He goes, and so he sends me an email. Well, technically both yours are old. I'm like, what? I go back and look at the date. Yeah. <laughs> this is 301 new. Right. Yeah. This is, should we change the, the title to 301 <laughs> new? 301 new just for this, this episode. Uh, because this book is 10 years old. I can't believe it. I was like, Oh my goodness. And I've never, I've never read this. Oh yeah. Until this week it's it's good stuff so like of course this is a very intro setting the storyline up for what it is and um basically lock and key is written by joe hill the art is by gabriel rodriguez uh colors by jay jay photos and letters by robbie robbins it's published by idw so and basically the first one the first thing you see is a door and it says welcome to lovecraft so the big thing about me is i love hp lovecraft stories and the mythos and anything with cthulhu um, I'm one of those geeks. H.P. Lovecraft was a horror writer at the turn of the century. Well, wait, I can't say that. Turn of the 18th and 19th century there. So, and a lot of the horror stories, movies we have today are a lot of based on his work. His mm-hmm. writing style, you have to get used to it because it's so different. He created basically the great old ones that we know as like Cthulhu. You know who Cthulhu is? You've heard of Cthulhu? No. You haven't heard of Cthulhu? I've heard of him. I, I, I don't know who he is. Uh, Cthulhu is – oh, my gosh. If I get this wrong, everyone's going to get mad at me. Anyway, Cthulhu is one of the great old ones. He lives in the sea uh, and the great city of Relay, basically. So there's a whole story you can read the Call of Cthulhu. It's all public access. Okay. And uh, basically he's a giant creature who, who sleeps right now. He, he, he affects people's dreams and nightmares is what he does. And at some point when the stars align, uh, the city of Relay will rise up from the city from the seas again, and the world will be destroyed. So, <laughs> but that's just Cthulhu. Okay. So other go. stories like um, The Thing by John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, greatly influenced by H.P. Lovecraft's story at the Mountains of Madness. Have you ever seen the Reanimator movies? Yes. Those are H.P. Lovecraft stories. Herbert oh. Herbert H. West Reanimator is a story by H.P. Lovecraft. So they're a little corny. They are corny, yeah. So this, well, the movie, yeah. the Reanimator movies are corny, but basically, uh, Lovecraft really got 
was known for his stories and weird tales in the old pulp magazines and, and weird tales is what he wrote in. But he was a contemporary with like um, Robert E. Howard, who created Conan, you know, and things like that. Uh-huh. So but that's who H.P. Lovecraft is. And there's so much to it that you see to his stories like uh, Shadow of Smith is one of his more popular ones. Um, obviously, The Call of Cthulhu at the Mountains of Madness. Why can't I think of the one? Uh, oh, The Dunwich Horror is another one. So, yeah, there's just a lot of stories of this. Uh, basically people going insane. There's no good ending to these stories. You know, you think about it because you hear about stories now. It's always, oh, there's always a happy ending. There is none in this. Yeah. It is. Yeah. The, yeah, that's the good horror movies, right. you know. The great old they, ones they never you had. Die. You think they had a good ending, but yeah. bam, something else happens. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so, anyway, Lock and Key starts off with this door. And that's the story is kind of split into various parts. You know, it kind of jumps back and forth. The first thing are these two guys knocking on a door, and this lady answers it, and they're talking about, oh, we're here for somebody. We knew him from church camp, and uh, they're pulling out a knife and a gun from you know behind them. She's talking about how uh, – oh, how'd you guys get here because they traveled from somewhere. So, oh, our uncle's pickup truck. We borrowed it, and then it shows the pickup truck in the distance, and there's two dead bodies in the back. You know, So these guys obviously are up to no good. Then it goes to another part where it's these kids. They're standing by the creek in the – you know. And one kid's all excited because a, a, a turtle uh, pooped on his hand. So, <laughs> But it's an older brother, <laughs> little brother, and a sister basically standing there, just kind of going through some stuff, looking at the water. Goes back to the house where the girl was. So the one kids are talking. Goes back to the house where the girl and the guys were. And uh, they're standing there. And another guy walks in through the doors who they're looking for. And, of course, they're going to – they murder him, which ends up being these three kids' dad, basically, is who got murdered. The next scene is um, – they're all at a funeral. So it it jumps around a lot, but a lot of people walking by tell him, hey, we know how much your dad meant to us and so forth and so forth, you know. And he's kind of having some flashbacks and memories with his dad from when he was a kid. And finally, as a friend of his comes out, you know, and he just falls in his arms crying, you know, because he sees himself as a little kid walking by. And, you know, everything that he had, which was his dad dying, you know, his dad got murdered. Now, before uh, it goes back to the before and they're, they're coming up from the creek and the two murderers are in there. And he looks in the window and sees him, and he sees the one guy's covered in blood, and uh, there's just blood all over. You could tell it was a mess. So, just a psycho. I mean, it's a, it's a psycho. But the one guy's just, like, fully covered in blood, and the other guy's not so much. So the guy who's... But that scene, uh, it looked like he had the mother that uh, pretty graphic. It, it's, it was pretty graphic, yeah. And then you see, like, if you look in the background, there's blood prints on the wind, on the wall, like being dragged. Yeah. And a bloody yeah. hatchet. And then an axe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, basically, they they step back, try to get away, and he steps into pa- uh, paint buckets, white paint, and uh, they're going to try to hide, and there's a track. You can see the track to where they go down to the cellar door. Well, the little boy and girl actually climbed up on the roof, hiding behind the chimney, and the one guy's like, you idiot, I'm following your tracks right down to the cellar. And then it goes back to present time again to where <laughs> they pop forward and they move and they come up to this big mansion where they're going to be basically living is the thing. So they show up and they're going to wander around and be living flashes back to the cellar the guy's following the white footprints from the paint and all of a sudden he sees his shoes there and he's standing behind him doesn't get to hit him yet with a brick but the guy fires and he swings him and hits him in the face with the brick and just busts his jaw the guy keeps shooting at him he grabs another brick and he just pummels the guy's face in with this brick i mean just pummels him well now he comes up from the cellar door in the house where the other killer is and he has to push his dad's body off of the cellar door comes out and he grabs a gun 
and he pulls the trigger to shoot the other guy and it clicks and the guy goes, you idiot. You know, basically I counted the number of shots. So I know there's nothing in there. Well, just as the guy approaches him, the girl who was there initially who got attacked. Was that his wife? I think it was his wife. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I think it was his wife. Yeah. Comes up from behind and just hits him in the back of the head with the hatchet. Oh yeah. It's a big, uh, and it is deep full screen panel. Yeah. Yeah. You could, that, that, hatchet is going yeah. to the back of his skull yeah it's to his ears his eyeballs are going in different yeah. directions and then the next panel shows that you know it's up in his ears uh his dad's body fell down in the cellar and then it shows him at the funeral again and then now at this new place where they've all they've all moved to and they're talking about she's talking about how you know you're his favorite the his sister was like you're his favorite you know and all this he says you know whatever i was to him it wasn't worth it you know it just because his dad talking about his dad, it just wasn't worth it. And so he just keeps looking in the water, you know, just kind of just kind of picturing himself and remembering all the events because now it shows him covered in blood with like the pistol in his hand and everything. He's just kind of looking at all this. The next thing though, they're talking about the little brother. You know, he's all climbing around this mansion. And he's like, "What trouble can he get into?" And you know, there's a sword he finds. So he jumps off of this pile of books. He's trying to stack up, and there's a broom he grabs and knocks something up off the top of this um, bookcase, and it's a key that falls, and the key's got a skull on it. And it's the key from the cover. Yes, exactly. The key from the cover unlocks this door, basically. And it doesn't show anything for him. Next, then it goes to prison. And the guy in prison is the guy who got his face bashed in with the bricks. <laughs> but he looks like he's got, like, stitches yeah. all over his face. It's all messed up. Yeah. He's talking to his sink. <laughs> it's full <laughs> of water. <laughs> That sounds weird, guy, but yeah, he's talking to his sink. Yeah, yeah. And the sink is talking, talking back. back. You know, and he's like, you promised me a new home, a new face, you know. It's kind of weird. And all of a sudden you see this. You probably have issues if you're talking to his sink. It's talking back and says it's going to give you a new everything, yep. new life. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and so the face is talking, says all this stuff. And I promise you, yes, you'll get a new face, you'll get a new home. And he's like, when, 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 you know, and it shows that. He's in San Lobo Juvenile Detention. So, obviously, he was a kid who did this murder, you know. So, so eventually he'll get out. Next, it goes to the little boy who opened the door. And this part is just creepy. He opens the door, and it looks like it's a door to outside, even though it was an interior house door. So, it's interior. Yeah, this is that, that, that skull key yep. that he used for this door in the middle of the house yep so as he opens the door he steps out but he stops and like his spirit leaves his body <laughs> for the little boy and the body just drops and the boy's spirit just kind of is like what in the world and turns around and sees his body and then goes back and lays back down into his body and just wakes up with the butterfly on his face or a moth and he's just kind of like oh what what's going on and he's just kind of looking out the door and then all of a sudden the door just shuts boom and that's the end of it so I know it doesn't sound like I described a lot because there's not a lot going on other than this is a really weird book. <laughs> there's a lot of setup and a lot of, uh, I guess, a sort of a character development yep. for some of the characters. Yeah. You just see what they've gone through and where they've been. You know, this door reminds me of a couple old movies called House. Mm. Do you remember Yeah, that? yeah. How, you know, you're in that house and every door you're open is like another world. It's almost like Dr. Strange's house. You or know, like you Muppet Babies <laughs> in the cartoon. I don't know anything. Oh, never mind. I don't know anything about that. That used to happen in the cartoon, the Muppet Babies. They'd open up. There's, okay. there's Darth Vader. Okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, it's didn't think Muppet Babies would be entered in discussion when right. we're talking about lock and key. <laughs> right. But um, so basically, that's the intro story, and you're just kind of like. And I remember when my buddy had loaned me the graphic novel, I was like, okay, that's a crazy. And then you read it, and you're like, it is pretty crazy story. So the kind of setup, yeah, their father was murdered, and uh, so they they move, you know, into like a family house because it's. And this this it's very intriguing because you get to the point in the book. Hey, I want to know at least me personally. I want to really know what happens. Right. And I've never read this. I don't. I don't know what happens in the next issue or the following issues, but it looks like it's a series of graphic novels mm-hmm. or mini series or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's an individual issues, but yeah, you can get the graphic novels out because obviously it's been out yeah. for ten years now. So there's. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna have to read the rest of these because it's that intriguing to me to see exactly what the heck's going on, especially this door thing. Right. And yeah, the guy talking to the creature in the sink. Yeah, there's a lot going on in it is yeah. the thing. So and the and the thing about it that makes it interesting is just that it's a different style. You know, I've discussed weird, creepy comics in the past and you know, that's some of them I like like that, and that's what one of that's what lock and key is. So yeah. And I'm guessing uh, there's a lot of supernatural aspects to the story. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there is, so yeah. Uh, it's very graphic though. Anybody that isn't big into like blood and murder and that sort of thing there are some graphic scenes in this book so it's not like for hey let's give lock and key to kid because uh probably not a good idea right right (laughs) yeah don't give it to a kid yeah no (laughs) and the art in here is excellent yeah it's great art i love the art on it so yeah it fits this series perfectly yeah i mean the it makes the crazy guys you know they have big eyeballs and and they they look nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've just it's just a good series overall. I think so. Yeah, definitely check it out if you haven't read it. I know I've heard of it before, and I just haven't haven't read it before. But it seems very intriguing. So now you have your new one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I will get a new one for the next one. <laughs> I can't believe still it's uh, 10 years old, man. That's crazy. That's fine. If you'd like to join the conversation with Too Old Too New, we are on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Too Old Too New. I am at Gotham Knight 13, and Seth is Seth Must Die. We have an email. If you'd like to email any thoughts or suggestions or just tell us how great we're doing we're too old too new podcast at gmail.com we are on itunes we're google play and stitcher have anything else for us tonight uh no i'm good no next time i promise a newer comic <laughs> the newer comic there we go too old too new it won't be three old one new <laughs> right or three new one old maybe it'll be three old yeah Three new, one old, just to even it up. (laughs) (laughs) So until next time, uh, for Seth, I'm Bill, and we will see you later. Take care. We have come to the end of another exciting episode of the Comic Book Podcast, hosted by Bill and Seth. Join us next time. We review two old and two new comic books. Watch ya!